0: Hello Trippers, Alex Zane here, film journalist, movie fan and your host for A Trip to the Movies. I'm currently in our podcast studio, a mile beneath the streets of London and in a moment my guest this week, the wonderful filmmaker William Oldroyd will be talking about his fantastic new movie Eileen and taking us on his perfect trip to the cinema. Thanks for downloading this episode of the podcast. It's brought to you by My Limitless, the subscription membership from Odeon Cinemas. From only 14 a month, you can see all the movies at Odeon whenever you like. With a three-month minimum term, the possibilities are limitless. Right, that explains the name. But that's not all. Think of those cracking recliners at Odeon Luxe Cinemas. Think of access to movies before they're officially released. Think of 10% off all the food and drink you'd like, including at their Oscars bars. Sign up online today by going to odeon.co.uk. Go on, give them a whirl and see how much fun life as a cinema goer can be when you are truly limitless. And if you'd like a pair of free tickets to head to your nearest Odeon, stick around after the interview and I'll tell you how you can get your hands on some. Also, if you'd like to watch today's interview in glorious technicolour, do head over to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. And please, while you're there, hit that subscribe button and help us grow the pod into a giant temple of film. For all the latest updates and to get in touch, you'll find us at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod on all social media. Right then, time to introduce today's guest who I interviewed just yesterday on Zoom. So let's do this. Hello and welcome to a trip to the movies where each week a special guest takes us on their perfect trip to the cinema. This week we're joined by a wonderful director who broke onto the cinema landscape in 2017 with his superb critically acclaimed debut feature the Florence Pugh starring Lady Macbeth. And now he's back with a darkly funny and incredibly suspenseful psychological thriller called Eileen, based on the best-selling novel and starring Thomasin McKenzie and Anne Hathaway. Here to tell us about that and take us on his perfect trip to the movies, it's the hugely talented William Oldroyd. William, wonderful to have you on the show. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thanks. Fantastic. So I'm going to crack straight into talking about a movie that I saw a couple of weeks ago, your second feature, Eileen. What a wonderful movie! Suspenseful movie With a killer ending I think I knew I was going to love it From the moment That period font Appears on screen Bow. Oh great
1: Yes Well we wanted to um, Throw back to Hitchcock Without Getting trapped In pastiche You know Like it was a nice sort of Nod And hopefully With, with Richard Reed Parry's score as well Gave us the Sort of Wake up That we needed At the beginning of the movie And then Got us into it So
0: I believe you uh, you heard you saw was it the nest and heard his score on that, and that was one of the yeah. reasons you wanted to use him he, from Arcade 5 for those who don't know, but yes, that, that movie and that score was great.:
1: yeah, incredible and um, and you know just the amount of music he can generate, sketches he was sending through in response to some of the images we were sending him, just hours and hours and hours of material, and then whittling it down so that he was very clear he wanted a theme for eileen so we were trying to work out what that theme would be you know something that sort of was um as a nod to noir so there were some of the sort of those those, those jazz ideas in there but at the same time something that felt sort of bold and contemporary at the same time i think he really did an amazing job
0: it's an incredible score but without getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> this this movie, for those who don't know, give us a brief idea of what it's about because I I think you've described it, which I love, as a very specific kind of love story.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, I would say it's a perfect Christmas love story. I mean, for, <laughs> for, those, for those people who worry that there's nothing for them at Christmas – to uh to watch they don't feel like the movies that are presented to them are the ones that they can connect with this is this could be the movie for you this this is this could be your christmas go-to movie um it's i would say you know it's it's i mean you've seen this it's um it's it's very darkly funny i found it very funny when i first read the book i found what i tested it very very funny um and then trying to keep that sense of humor through the movie was really essential to us and so um yeah, we've got, you know, there's snow in there, sleigh bells. There's even um, an injured Santa in uh, <laughs> the A&E department of the hospital. <laughs> it of, is. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a
0: wonderful, slightly provocative Christmas movie. But it is yeah. a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's great. It's your second feature after 2017's um, critically lauded and wonderful film, Lady Macbeth. It's, it's sometimes talked about... That when a director has such a, a well-received debut, thinking about that second feature can be quite a tricky process. It's been about five uh, years since Lady Macbeth. Yeah, how did you find it? Did you want to take your time to find the right project to follow up Lady Macbeth?
1: Absolutely, and and um, nobody who made that film really anticipated the reaction it would get. Like it was, it was. Um, it was so surprising. And then what came with that, I think was a lot of, um, advice. A lot of people telling us, you know, what we should be doing next and having a lot of opinions, very strong opinions and so on. Um, and it takes a little while to sort of cut through all that noise just to make sure that, you know, what, uh, what drew us to Laver in the first place, we, we remember what, what the attraction was, you know, a strong sexual character, a beautiful script, um, A great story, and that's what I found with Eileen. So it took, and and I was reading a lot of stories, a lot of ideas, meeting people, thinking about what could be the next one, and and I was spoiled in the sense, but I had such great actors, such a great producer, writer, all of the the crew and the cast for um, for Lady Macbeth that that I wanted to make sure that I, whatever I did next, built on that. Do you know? Mm. Uh, and I just felt when I read that book, when I read Eileen, I thought this could be the this could be the the step forward, the the next step up. That we have this amazing um, darkly, like funny, uh, twisted character to explore. I mean, and, that, and that's because it's so many years of your life, isn't it? When you when you when you commit to do these things, you want to find somebody that has the the richness and the depth of character that you can really get stuck into. Um, and that's that, that's what we found and Not only that but, but also with Rebecca St John You know the, Those two characters I thought could be really Great to see together on screen
0: uh, Well it, it's no secret I mean the reviews are in And people are, are loving The movie Do you get uh, A brief reprieve From having to Think about Concern yourself With the next project Are you able to sit back And have a moment To enjoy this
1: Yes And it, because of the way In which things have sort of Been uh, timed So you know We 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 shot it two years ago in the winter. We then finished it the following summer. We then had the premiere in January of this year. So I haven't seen it for nearly a year. and So actually a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, I, I got to see it again. Uh, I thought I should watch it because I was going to talk about it. And um, I was quite surprised. Did I, <laughs> having seen it and thinking I'd never want to watch it ever again in my life. after We were editing it for so many months. It was quite nice to sit with an audience and, um, and uh, I'm, very, I'm, very, I'm very fond of it and I'm very proud of the work everybody did. I think it's, um, I think it's uh, what we've found is that audiences have been really surprised by it and that's, for me, very gratifying.
0: I mean, I imagine it's always quite a nerve-wracking experience when a, a director sits with an audience to watch their film for the first time in a crowded auditorium. How was that experience yeah. for you?
1: Uh, if I'll be honest with you It was um, It was mixed because The first time we screened the film with an audience Was at the Echo Theatre in Sundance Film Festival And it was an audience of 1,200 people Wow uh, And we hadn't seen it I mean we'd had No we hadn't seen it with an audience I mean we'd seen it with the people who made it Like su- some um, small screenings As we were editing and doing the post-production But on one level it was great to hear an audience react to the film in so many places where we'd hoped there may be a reaction and so on. And then at the same, other at the same time, you know, as much imagine it's the same if you're a comedian, you know, you don't get a laugh in a moment. You're like that deafening silence can be <laughs> absolutely um, right, i are gonna cut that joke, we're gonna have to work doubly hard tomorrow to get that. But the you know, it's the hard thing is um to get the pacing right in isolation so you know if it was in theater you'd be working with the actors to see how they can make the better connection with the audience right i mean that 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 live reaction is so important but we have to make that film work in its uh in its own right and then present it to an audience and then just hope that they react that they respond and um and, an, and a Sundance audience is a great audience because they're up for it. You know, they are they are an audience who comes to that festival for a reason. They love those sorts of movies. So, you know, it was, um, it was thrilling. It was really, really thrilling on, on that level, but also terrifying because there's nothing you can do. You can't go and make any changes. Right, right, right. You've right. seen the movie. You've got, you can't go back in there and be like, oh, well, let's cut that and just move that around. And You know, let's have a chat with the actors and say, why don't you be trying this? You know, it's done. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the author already uh, tessa mosh feg um who's also yeah. co-written the script um uh, you, you touched on the book it's been called delightfully dour and pleasingly perverse um what did you love about it when you first read it because I, I think i'm right in thinking you have nurtured this from the start you read the book and were instrumental in going hey i think this could make a great film
1: Yes, I read. I read uh, one of Atessa's other books first. It was in March 2020, at the beginning of the uh, lockdown, first lockdown, and it was my year of rest and relaxation, which is about a young woman who self-medicates, tries to put herself to sleep for a year, which felt like. I mean, a lot of people were looking for um, ideas for what to do for the for the lockdown. That felt mm-hmm. like quite a, an interesting way forward, and then yeah. I. Um, <laughs> And then and then it led me to read a lot of her other books. I read I read everything she she wrote, um, including Eileen. And when I read that, I just thought, well, this could be great. I think, you know, you asked what drew me to it. I think pleasingly perverse is probably exactly what uh, you have me at perverse. The, <laughs> <laughs> that was what I loved about this character. Like you don't you so rarely see these sorts of uh characters on screen. Um and especially in combination with uh two other women who i mean without saying too much there's a great scene between three women on, on in, in the film and when i read that scene in the book i felt like uh it's so rare you get to see a scene like that between three women and wouldn't it be great if we could make that that's what i went to a with as an idea
0: uh, and, and well done on talking about that scene with no spoilers, because that is a pivotal, pivotal, <laughs> pivotal moment. Pivotal yeah. moment. Um, I found a lovely quote from Otessa, uh, who is a wonderfully frank in interviews. Uh, and this was after seeing the very first cut of the film. We were watching it again today. I was like, "This is so much better than my book." Is there, <laughs> is there a greater thing a filmmaker like yourself adapting someone's work can hear?
1: No, and you know. There's a, there's a huge following for the book. There are a lot of um, folk fans but then equally Eileen fans like, so you just want to do the best job. I mean like we had, a, I mean, having got tested they're part of the, the collaboration in the making of it, not just that she adapted her own novel with Luke, her partner but also that she was part of the casting, she was helping me with the look of it. I mean she knows so much about fashion that she was very instrumental in the decision about eileen's clothes and so on like it was really i had a, i had a gift here i had the i had the the creator of eileen the character i mean she 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 dreamt her up she didn't just adapt the book she she invented this character so it was great to use her and i now feel like you know they're going to, hopefully there hopefully will be no death threats from the eileen fans i mean that <laughs> that was one of the worries was there's an army out there who are ready just to you know what right do you have? So I that mean, that a character which is so vivid in people's minds because obviously, as you read the book, and you come up, with, you dream your own film as you're reading the book. But I think that the feedback we've had is um, that it's a faithful adaptation in the best way.
0: I think when they um, when they see Thomasin McKenzie's performance as Eileen, um, I think any any fears they have will be sated uh, because yeah. With regards to Thomasin McKenzie and Anne Hathaway, I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that they both give career best performances in this movie, mm. which when you consider their combined CVs is quite something. Um, yeah. How was the casting?
1: We went to Thomasin uh, to offer her the role because we had loved to watch them before in Deborah grannick's movie, Leave it a Trace. We'd seen... I'd seen her in... Um, recently in the, the True History of the Kelly Gang, which I thought was she'd done some wonderful work in that. And then we obviously, she taped for us and, and we met her several times. Um, with Annie, it was a no brainer. The moment I read the character of Rebecca St. John and talked to a test about who she was, we thought, let's, let's approach Annie with, with this. And so we got our first choices. I mean, I think when you have a great script, it makes that part of the process much easier. Um, and um, so once once they had indicated they wanted to do it, we said great. Then we started looking for the other people. You know, finding Marine Island Ireland was wonderful. What a played Mrs. Polk What a fantastic, fantastic actor. How lucky we are to have her in the, in the movie. Shea Wiggum as well, playing Dad.
0: Oh, oh, let's let's talk let's talk about Shay. Uh, I mean, I I I I love. That man, I genuinely think he is one of the finest actors working today. Like he, he, he's mm-hmm. at home in a blockbuster like Mission Impossible or Hong Skull Island, and then you see him here in a character piece like this, and he just blows me away every time.
1: Yeah, yeah, his his instinct is incredible. Like we spoke before, um, he arrived in on set, and you know he was very clear about the direction he wanted to take that. Because if you think about on the page, um, alcoholic, ex cop, Boston, like this, we've seen it a million times. Mm. Uh, and yet, what he brings to it is something so fresh and, and interesting, something so grounded that he really wanted to fight against all of the stereotypical attributes, all of those elements that, um, that we've seen before. I just, and he's a great, great person to work with. You know, is on set, he's just so generous. Um, And he and Thomas, I mean, what was great is we we shot in two blocks, really. So we had um, Eileen and Dad for 10 days, and then we had a little break for Christmas. And then we shot for 16 days after Christmas with Rebecca and Eileen, that block. So we spent 10 days really building up their family life, just the two of them in this house, all of the, the way that they sit with each other and they talk to each other and they... Drink whiskey, smoke cigarettes. That we we had a whole life which you built for them, and then into that life, then you bring Rebecca, this alien creature, this sort of blonde bombshell, Hitchcock blonde, with with her red sports car driving in, and how it sort of, you know, how it sort of disrupts that status quo. You know, it was it was really great. I mean, and and I think what came across on 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 screen for me was that lived in. Life that Shay and, and Thomas and created with each other, just being able to sit together in silence and and you see them, their connection there is was, was was totally all of their work.
0: And uh, you do have form uh, with actors delivering quite phenomenal performances in your films. You know, 2017's Lady Macbeth is credited with launching Florence Pugh. Is there... Is there something about the atmosphere you create on set, the way you work with your actors, perhaps even from uh, your theatre background, that allows these performers to deliver performances like this?
1: Yes. I mean I, th- I mean, I should say I saw Florence in Carol Morley's film, The Falling, which was um, cast by Shaheen Beg, who cast Lady Macbeth. And um, it was it was a result of seeing her in that film that made me think that she would be so good in Nam. Um, in Lady Macbeth and uh, I think I I feel I feel, I, I feel comfortable with actors because I had 10 years working in the theater so I'm very used to being in a rehearsal room I'm not afraid of sitting with actors and going through all of the questions that you have associated with building a character that's that that for me is like you know I, I, mean, I don't know how to turn on a camera but I do know how to sit and work with actors, and uh, and I enjoy it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't find it. Um, I mean, so far, let's see. I mean, maybe, maybe, we speak again. I've met somebody who's really, really challenged that. But I, so far, I've really enjoyed working with actors on on movies.
0: Uh, um, as I said at the start, I, I loved the film. It's absolutely brilliant. It hits cinemas on December the first, and I fully suggest everyone go and see it on the big screen. It's a beautiful beautiful film. And talking of the big screen, William, it is now time to leave this reality and enter another dimension, a dimension of pure film, where our virtual cinema awaits. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation your perfect cinema trip, William. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you?
1: I'm going to go with my wife. Uh, we've just got married a month ago, and I feel like maybe it could be our honeymoon—a trip to the trip to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> she's a great. She's a great person to go to the cinema with. She's a she's a contemporary artist and um, has such a brilliant um, outlook and, and view of, of cinema. She sees things in movies that um, I don't often see, and she she is very. Um, she's great company.
0: Well, first of all, congratulations. That's fantastic news. Good news, I found someone who would agree to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is, this is amazing. So this is our first honeymoon trip to the movies. Do you and your wife have a similar taste in movies?
1: Yeah, I think we do. Um, we don't like gory movies. they like horror films. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing. Um, yes, we do. I, yeah, I, I would say we, we share the same sense of humour.
0: Right then, you are taking your wife to the cinema. Now, William, there's a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time have we gone on your honeymoon to the
1: cinema? Probably about 11am, 10 or 11am. I think seeing movies in the morning is a great. um, And my mind's freshest then. Uh, and then it also takes me back to when I was at art college, and um, Guildford Odeon is where I used to. Sl- I used to. I was at, uh, at final art college, and I used to slip out and go to the silver screen screens for old people that they have at eleven a.m. every Wednesday morning, um, where they'd stick on old movies that um, old people like to watch, <laughs> and, and me, <laughs> and I get a free cup of tea and a biscuit.
0: <laughs> wow, uh, I I didn't know that. I've never heard of those screenings. Are they? I wonder if they're still a thing.
1: They were, they're called silver, It was called Silver Screen. I think they thought they were quite clever because it's Silver Screen because um, it was the silver screen. And then also because everyone in the auditorium had silver hair. I think that's what they felt. <laughs> it was a play on words. So, no, very
0: yeah. clever. Very, very clever. Very I imagine clever. It's almost a title <laughs> where the only reason to do it is because you come
1: up with the title. And we can't exactly. that what we have, well, One of the movies, I don't know, but we have the title. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so famously aside from these um, these silver screenings that's quite a quiet time to go to the cinema do you do you prefer a quieter
1: auditorium yes i'd like to if, i mean in fact if i'm sitting in an auditorium and someone else comes in i'm disappointed because <laughs> i haven't managed to get the whole place to myself and i feel maybe it's not really in the spirit of this to say i would i would go to the cinema on my own but i do tend to go to the cinema on my own most of the time um, and that would-
0: That would be a lonely honeymoon, though. It It would be incredibly
1: lonely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right, then. uh, You have booked the tickets for our trip, William. Thank you very much. So
1: where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? We sit at the back, in the middle. That's not just because we're on the honeymoon, but also um, I'm quite long-sighted. So um, my nightmare would be if people put me in in the first few rows. I mean, it's impossible to sort of... To see anything, I like to be able to see the whole, the whole screen. So, okay. I was going to. I went to. I went to see. Um, I once went to see a movie in the IMAX, and um, I sitting in the middle, and I couldn't see the edges of the screen, and I, I got, I really got um, uh, dizzy from the movie. I think it was actually Dunkirk. That's probably why. You're right. But, um, but I, but I, re- but I really feel like I need to see the edge of the screen when I see the when I see a film.
0: Okay, this is interesting because, I mean, normally uh, filmmakers tend to pick the middle of the middle because uh, apparently that is where the, the best sound and visuals for a movie go. But obviously you're sitting at the back. I wondered whether it was because you didn't like people behind you because I often sit at the back because uh. I hate having people, kind of like a hitman. I don't like people just behind me.
1: But, it, uh, but the problem with the back is it's where most of the naughty people, like on the <laughs> bus, where they sit. So it's usually when I've been at the back, it's where people are making out where they're on their phones, and so people are actually talking on their phones. Do it like, it's it's where people are sort of least engaged. I think you, you've got the real, the real avid fans in the middle. So if you want no distractions, maybe that's it. You're right in the, in the middle of the middle. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I I cannot condone people who go on a date to the cinema if it's a first date. I was watching the Andy Nyman movie Ghost Stories at a cinema in Kings Cross, and a couple. We're on their very first date, meeting each other for the first time. They clearly hadn't even been out before getting into the cinema, chatting about what they liked, their dislikes, you know, all through the movie. If I was a more confident person, I'd have said something, but I just sat there seething right. for two hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd be brave to go and confront anybody in the cinema. I mean, I have you know, like, this. You don't know what's going to happen.
0: You don't. You don't, no. Right, the final thing we need before we leave the foyer, oh the air is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available. What are you choosing to eat?
1: I mean now again I mean nowadays, like if it's three and a half hours, maybe you need breakfast and lunch, you know, <laughs> as, just to get you through the But normally I don't take any food in because uh, it's like ninety minutes, two hours I can it may be um some water. I like I don't like I like to be fully focused on the film. I mean it doesn't sound very fun does it
0: no it's fine and you're a purist i respect that you don't you don't want you don't want the noise and the the, the, the inevitable odors. oh my god
1: well, i mean i I, mean, I i tell you something that used to do i mean it all goes back to gavrodi and now i'm gonna get in trouble but my friend's dad used to basically what you used to be able to do is so you'd have pick a mix that you could weigh and then you'd have popcorn but the popcorn was not served by somebody who works there. you would serve your own popcorn he used to take half of the pick and mix and put them in the bottom of the popcorn. And then he'd take the popcorn, and put it on the top and then he'd just go and pay for the popcorn. And that half of it was pick and mix. <laughs>
0: wow.
1: So maybe wow. that's what I would do. I would do a pick and mix popcorn combo. Guilford style.
0: Right. A pick and mix popcorn <laughs> combo. I mean, uh, your, your friend's dad could well be the reason that there is no self-serve popcorn available in British cinemas anymore.
1: I think that's right yeah although yep. oh, well, there's, there's bankruptcy it's looming much. Oh, shit
0: <laughs> okay so the bottom half is pick and mix the top half is popcorn sweet or salted
1: I mean well if you've got that much pick and mix probably better put a bit of salt in there yeah. just to even it out
0: makes perfect sense all right we have everything we need it's time to leave the foyer we push open the doors and start our walk down the corridor towards the auditorium now the corridor is looking a little bare at the moment william so i'm going to put up some posters on the wall that celebrate some of your most important movie memories and the first poster i'm putting up depicts your fondest movie memory
1: uh probably my first movie memory going to again comfort odian with my dad, 1985, to see Back to the Future.
0: So you saw it on its first run at the cinema?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was, I mean, who can forget their first time of going to the cinema and then not only that, but it's Back to the Future. I mean, I feel like, you know, born in the late 70s, grew up in the 80s, I was lucky that my first sort of memories are around like, my first tape cassette was bad. You know, like I had that as a first tape and then Back to the Future as a first movie. Like, then, then it's like you're setting yourself up for some some disappointing experiences after that. <laughs> but, but it was, uh, and that was, but it was, that was, uh, that, and that was full. That was a full cinema. So I, it must have had an impact.
0: And had you any idea what it was about? Because obviously, now in 2023, as we sit here, we are inundated with information about a movie before it's released. Trailers, interviews, social media, everything telling us, uh, you know, and I was, it was, I was so happy that I got to see Eileen without too much information beforehand because to watch that movie unfold in real time in front of me uh, is a way I would suggest a lot of people go and see it because it's phenomenal and you have no idea where it's going and where this film is taking you. So, did you know much about back to the future beforehand?
1: absolutely nothing. I mean no, nothing um, and I think maybe if someone told me it's about a skateboarding kid who like keeps keeps the clocks ticking for an old professor in the, <laughs> you might be like, "I'm not sure when I going to see that movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then actually, oh, but that's just half the story. Just you wait. And then he's gonna like he's got the flux capacity, He's gonna go back in time, but actually, to, it's gonna to be toxic. Like, no, I'm not sure I'm buying this. Imagine pitching Back to the Future.
0: <laughs> well, weirdly, that reminds me of that famous story where I think it was Sid Sheinberg, the uh, head of Universal, uh, hated the name Back to the Future and uh, sent a memo to the producer Steven Spielberg saying, um, saying, "Yeah, I want this to be called Spacemen from Pluto." Uh, <laughs> Um, and Steven Spielberg got out of it by replying, saying, oh, thank you very much for your humorous memo, and he never heard from him again. <laughs> have you ha- have you had to field any crazy suggestions
1: over your career yet? Yes, but, I mean, a lot, but not over the title. I mean, we just, we just got to some things very, uh, very simple. I mean, one of the problems with Lady Macbeth was that, you know, um, people thought, there was a concern that people would be confused; they would think it was Shakespeare. Right. Uh, and in fact, I know there was a cinema in America, which uh, was they were so worried about people thinking it's Shakespeare. They on the front of the building, in the letters that they put up in the, it, it said, "Lady and it's not Shakespeare. They talk good." <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I said after this, I'll send you the picture. I've got a photo of it. It's fantastic.
0: Oh, please do. I want to be able to share that. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, right then. Let's carry on down the corridor on that note. And the second poster we're putting up depicts your worst movie memory.
1: Um, also, Guilford Odeon, a lot of memories <laughs> in Guilford but it was in 1996. Uh, I went on a first date to see The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oof. Um, oh, not a good <laughs> date movie um not a good movie but not a good date not not a a good movie not a good date movie and um it was the first and last date in fact it didn't go much further than that the um the i think the scene where the woman the sort of horse with breasts starts Mm. like rearing up and smashing up the laboratory was really a a low point in in my cinematic life that was the (laughs)
0: Thank <laughs> oh God I am cause you you so you pick the movie, so your date is there looking at you going, Who am I in this cinema with that wanted a, to watch this? I
1: was saying, you know, I I've heard Marlon Brando like was watching like a really great actor. I, this is me at uh, sixteen years old, you know. And uh she's like, Okay, well I'll trust you to go see this movie and then I mean it really was a a shocking movie. I mean it was really was <laughs> not very good at all.
0: Have you ever seen um, the documentary uh, "Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau" about the whole making of this? No, oh, that I really want to see that now. It will, it will obviously, it may be quite triggering because of the trauma of that date, but it's absolutely fascinating because he was the original director who was fired a week in and replaced by John Frankenheimer. But some of the ah. stories. Of this set, I mean the famous ones. Obviously, Val Kilmer uh, was very difficult to work with. There was a hurricane, um, uh, all sorts. But my favourite, which I hope hopefully will make you want to go and seek out this this documentary, is that Marlon Brando, uh, who was famously Marlon Brando about things, he wanted as Doctor Moreau to wear a hat for the entire movie that concealed his face, only to reveal it in the final scene. Take the hat off, and the twist was. He was a dolphin.
1: <laughs> that would have been so great twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's yeah. a mate that is I mean, maybe that would have saved the film. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh God. Oh wow. Yeah. I I'm gonna definitely watch that documentary because it no, it's been I think ninety six is far enough away for me not to be, to be too triggering.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right, then. So, our third poster, then. This depicts the last performance, William, that brought you to tears.
1: It was recently, I went to see Anatomy of a Fall, and um, the boy, the son, in that movie, um, I just thought he gave such an incredible performance. I mean, I, I would also say, I think that the dog, I mean, for those people who have seen it i mean i really don't know how they did that it's really really remarkable but there's a moment there's a moment where the boy um uh is smiling through tears i remember it so clearly when he feels that he's told the truth i think that's that's the i don't want to say, say too much for those people who haven't seen last movie before yet but but that moment for me was really um i got i got a bit seriously choked up
0: so yeah, for those who haven't seen it, uh, this is this is the the 2023 Palme d'Or winner, Anatomy of a Fall. It's a, it's a, a courtroom drama which is a very simplistic way of describing it because there's a lot more going on, isn't there? Yeah,
1: it's it's beautifully structured, really well told. I mean, and um every decision has been made is so bold and brilliant. I mean, e- even the piece of music that uh, is sort of fundamental to why this accident may have happened in the first place, you know, and, and Sandra Hula's performance, the actress, at the the heart of the story is just sensational. I mean, really, really remarkable. Um, in fact, I, after watching, I went to see Sybil, the film that Justin Trier made before, where Sandra Hula has a small part playing a director and it's just really great. Very, very funny. I saw, I could, I could see some, um, some of the odd behavior that directors may have in that performance it was a bit close to home but she's a wonderful really wonderful act
0: and uh, the 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 son daniel uh milo machado grainer um I think is how you pronounce his name, so yeah, his dog is he's partially cited the character in the film and he's he's got this dog it's a border collie uh called snoop um if you like the dog's performance, I think you might appreciate this I don't know whether you know already. Uh, the the actor the dog actor is actually called Messi, and it uh, as well as the film winning the Palm Door, it won the Palm Dog this year. The is uh, uh,
1: the- <laughs> <laughs> one too, brother. Yes,
0: yeah. I, I only discovered uh, that they have a Palm Dog this year, uh, which is obviously for the greatest canine performance at the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, and yeah. Uh, messy messy the border collie but without I don't think it's a spoiler if you think it is I'll cut it out afterwards but the scene you're talking about I have absolutely no idea how a dog can act like it's had an overdose as well as that
1: dog does no I mean I, I mean it was really difficult to watch and quite quite unsettling but yeah. but so important for the story um
0: uh, just uh, uh, just uh, for completion, um uh, Messi, the border Collie from uh, Anatomy of a Fall, uh, joins the ranks of previous winners of the Palm Dog. Uh Sayuri, uh, who's the pit bull from Once a Time in Hollywood. Um Uggy, the Jack Russell from The Artist, and Doug from Pixar's
1: Up. Oh uh, well <laughs> you could have you could have like uh, animated dogs too. Oh that's good. Apparently so. Apparently so. Uh, I don't actually,
0: I didn't look into the criteria of the palm dog. Uh, so the final poster we're going to put up, William, is the poster for your unpopular movie opinion.
1: Oh dear. What do I have? I mean, maybe my unpopular movie opinion is, I think that The Iron Doctor would have been better had, um, had Mano Brando had a dolphin's face at the end of that film. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you oh, know maybe what? my popular movie opinion is um Mike Nicholas should never have made Dare of the Dolphin. <laughs> That's actually probably a popular movie opinion. Day of the Dolphin, I mean actually, I mean it's so funny isn't it? you think of that movie like how ludicrous it was that they teach dolphins to speak as a as a secret weapon in the in the uh, in the Cold War. And then now you've got these these spy dolphins being trained and being so sort of discovered um being sent up by Russia with with camera straps. them. I mean it's sort of Maybe they—that's what they watch in Russia. Dare the Dolphin. Maybe it had a huge huge impact. So
0: so you're going to have to handhold me on a gap in my movie CV. I've never seen Day of the
1: Dolphin. Just enlighten me. Dare the Dolphin. um, Now, who is the actor? I can't remember the actor, but it was—it was a slight tragedy to the story too, because it was a movie that that uh, Polanski was going to direct. and had to drop out of because of the death of his wife. Um, Sharon Tate, when she died, he uh, was unable to do the movie, and then Mike Nichols stepped in. And, um, uh, I I mean, it really is a bad film, in my opinion. I mean, it really, really is a a terrible movie, and I think Mike Nichols was possibly doing a favour to Polanski. Um, I can't see why else you would... (laughs) That film. I mean, you know, the the premise is they teach dolphins to speak. They teach dolphins to speak English, yeah, as a as a weapon in the Cold War. I mean, these are are sort of like military grade dolphins. um, I mean, even just uh, (laughs) saying that loud, it's like you've got to be high to be able to come up with that.
0: Wow. So I, I. do you actually see a dolphin on screen speaking English?
1: But maybe but now I'm thinking maybe it was Marlon Brando with the mask. <laughs> maybe he finally got to do maybe the dolphins were played by Marlon Brando in the in the mask he got made for the Island of Doctor Moreau. Um, I don't know. It- you see, yeah, you see dolphin, you see dolphins doing the sort of like you know when they tip their head back and they sort of like you know with their mouths and then they have words. Dumped in. Oh my! And what's and their accent? What's, totally trippy. Uh, it's like a sort of American dolphin, <laughs> like quite high pitched.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Is it? Is it? Is it weird that I want to see it more now?
1: Oh, I think no. I think you should definitely see it. But I'm quite annoyed that my corridor has got um, the Iron Doctor and there the dolphin in it. <laughs> and then I guess you can offset that with. And that's Before really is like I think a masterpiece, and so is Back to the Future. So. It's good. We've got the, we've got balance.
0: Lovely. We've got parity between good and not so good. Our final poster we're putting up is for Day of the Dolphin. We have reached the final set of doors, William. Now, there is a queue of people, as there often is in the cinema, hoping to join you and your wife on your honeymoon in the auditorium. Do you want to let them in? Do you want to celebrate this together? Or do you want it just you and your wife in there?
1: Oh, it's a tough one. It depends who it is. I mean, if it's just if it's just... If it's friends and family, yeah, come come and, have, come and celebrate. But um,
0: Great. I, do you know what? I sent out some invites without you knowing. It is just friends oh, and family.
1: great. Fantastic. Oh, are we letting
0: them in? We're letting them <laughs> yes. in? Yes, we're letting
1: them in. <laughs> right. Okay,
0: your friends and family pour into the auditorium going wild. So we take our seats. Now, before the movie you picked for us is declared, we're going to play a few things on the big screen. And the first thing we're going to play is the trailer for the film you're most looking forward to seeing at the cinema.
1: That's the zone of interest. Yeah, I can't wait to see this film. Jonathan Glazer for me is really such an astonishing filmmaker. I'm really, really excited about this film.
0: So yeah, this this is only his fourth film, his first after 2013's mind-blowing under the skin. Um, What is it about him as a filmmaker and this movie that excites you?
1: Uh, I think what I love is that he really, really, really thinks about form as much as he thinks about story. So if he comes up with a, an idea for a film, or a, a plot line, a story, the form is as important as the story is. So, um, for example, uh, Under the Skin, they, I know that they rigged a van with cameras inside that, and I know he was sitting in the back of the van with a sort of monitor and there was nothing that would give away the fact that they were a film crew as as uh, uh Scott Johansson drove around the streets of Glasgow and picked people up like the idea of making an alien movie where you take literally a lister from Hollywood and then drop her into the middle of a city and then people look at her like they sort of recognize her but aren't totally sure is i think exactly how people might look at an alien and just loved that the way he he decided to make that film And I think with this From what I understand I've tried not to learn too much about it Before going in I want to go in with open mind I think the form of this again Mirrors what it might be like To create a sort of A house under surveillance So maybe the cameras Sort of sit in these wider positions And they view the action At a, at a remove So you're not actually From what I understand That there are no uh close-ups in the film yeah. which sounds crazy but at the same time you know i think uh, he's such a great filmmaker that it must be for an alienating effect or something that you know um
0: yeah i, I what it's about um, and this is going to be as you as you just uh very kindly explained because it's a jonathan glazer movie this will be an oversimplification but it's about the commandant of auschwitz um, and his family life in the house next to this concentration camp. But yeah, I read the same thing as you. It's, um, they sort of embedded cameras in the walls and kept the, the cast very separate from the crew. So they could never see the crew. Um, and and encouraged them to improvise on set. Now you mentioned at the start, obviously you, you, which must've been great having a little bit of rehearsal time with your cast for Eileen. And they arrived a few days earlier, which I'm writing thinking is kind of rare, in film often actors just arrive on the day they're there to shoot
1: Well I think it's important that we take some time just even to get to know each other because if you turn up on the day there's so many things going on you know it, like it's, it's very rare you get the chance to actually sit and chat and if there's any ideas that you have which don't quite align then it's too late at that point to sort of um, have any disagreement because you've got to shoot the scenes in it's, it's an enormously prescient environment but Having those few days before, where we can just sit and you know, and actually have to follow actors' own um, wishes if they don't want to commit to it emotionally, and a lot of actors would rather hold back and then just keep that for the camera, you know, they they don't want to sort of spend the emotion that they have in this moment. Then I totally respect that, and I wouldn't ever push them to do that. But at least we get a chance to the actors to meet each other, to start to build the relationships. We can talk through every single thought. That, we, that the actors have, so that the, that the characters have in each scene, and then build them up bit by bit, and I think it really, really helps.
0: And um, I think Zone of Interest also um, stars an actress uh, who you mentioned earlier, Sandra Huller, is uh, also in that. Which uh...
1: she's really on a roll. I mean, she's fantastic, and Tony Urbman as well. That uh, her performance in that is really funny, very, very, very funny. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. The next thing we're going to play on the big screen is. The moment, William, that makes you literally or metaphorically, you don't actually have to do it, pump your fist in the air.
1: I think probably when the killer whale jumps over the wall in Free Willy.
0: It's great. It's I, so,
1: And that's a literal fist pump, by the way. <laughs> and I hope that everybody in the cinema with me will be pumping fists uh, on our honeymoon, for sure. I, if we could all just one collective. I actually went to... Um, sing-along A Sound of Music at the Prince Charles uh, Cinema once, and I had the time of my life, you know, when um, you know, they give you bits of Edelweiss, and they give you a little um, party popper for the bit where she kisses, Maria kisses Captain Von Trapp, and everybody at the same time pop the pop, and that was just <laughs> absolutely magical.
0: I I went to my own very first one of those sing-alongs. I went to the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show one, um, oh. and had The time of my life, I didn't expect to, to love it because I'm a bit like yourself. I'm like, everyone be quiet, there's a film on, but actually, you're like, this is great.
1: I and mean, when, you're, when you're wasted on Blue Nun, which is like I think <laughs> the audits were, then I think you just go for it. Like, it was pretty raucous. And people were there's actually a, a fancy dress composition. Um, and there was um, somebody, there was a woman who was her costume was she dressed as a hill. Alive with the sound of music And she was covered in green And she had put little plastic sheep All over herself <laughs> This is what we need in the cinema More of this
0: <laughs> That is, love that uh, Right then Next up we are going to play What you consider cinema's Most shocking moment
1: The moment in the act of Killing the Josh Oppenheim Movie where the The perpetrator of Of one of the perpetrators of the genocide, and I can't remember his name now. You'll probably won't be able to remember, it, but he but he realizes. So, I mean, just to quickly recap, he essentially uh, killed a lot of people, a lot of communists, in fact, and um, and is encouraged by the filmmaker to recreate those those killings through by making his own films, so fictionalizing them, because it, because of course he's in denial about what he did, or he's He's actually celebrated for these killings um, and it's through the process of making the f- of the films that he starts to realize for the first time what he's actually done and you see the moment that the penny drops that you that you that he realizes the number of people he's killed and how he's killed them and it, it's like again it's one of those moments says, it's a documentary it's one of those moments where you can't believe what you're seeing as like, his body is in defiance of his mind like he he's dry heaving isn't he? he's retching in this moment and and nothing's coming up and he's just he's trying to carry on as normal but his his body is is betraying him it's really astonishing
0: yeah um, i i just looked it up his name was anwar Congo. And he's uh, believed to have been responsible for uh, the murder of almost 1000 people. But yeah, the moment you're talking about, uh, it's, I I agree. It's just, it's, it's, it's just an astonishing thing because I think they've returned him to a place he visited earlier in the film where he was um, very casually talking about the best way to kill someone, to execute someone. And then he returns to that having had this realization and like you say, it's it's watching a person's body in in cape react to this this revelation.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's um. It's, there's a few moments like that. You know, like at the end of the Jinx, where the main character realizes, you know, that he's he just starts burping or something. It's like when the body can't lie when the when the person is trying to hide the truth, and then the, the, the body decides that it can't lie. And this is one of those moments where he's just starts to to retch. Uh, I, 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 I mean it's it's, it's shocking
0: So that is From the act of killing the final moments As cinema's most shocking moment Next Playing through the Dolby Atmos speakers In this auditorium For your friends, family And indeed your wife On your honeymoon The line or piece of dialogue From a movie that most affected you
1: Now I'm going to forget what it is (laughs) At the moment But the line is Isn't it um, You can speak I think is what she says Is that the it's like a little sort of um, intro to The Mirror, Tarkovsky's movie, The Mirror. I think it's also a documentary, but I can't believe it was um, it was fiction, uh, where uh, a character who has a terrible stutter can't actually speak, uh, and she hypnotizes him, and she gets him to say his name and to speak. And um, it's so totally surprising to see this. At the beginning of a movie I just always thought to myself Wow, God How did you Like, how did you Think of that? How did you shoot it? And how did you know It would be a success In the, you know In the moment that it happens you Because know, it all comes together And it's not a long scene It's a short scene But it's just really Really astonishing To see that happen I've never seen somebody be hypnotized and then be able to speak
0: so full transparency I, I i've not seen the mirror so i did my due diligence and watched this scene uh just yesterday and um and it's it is quite quite captivating and 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 just like you say you're like is this real is this a performance is this ha- happening
1: yeah i mean that's i think i assume it has to be reality uh, because um the way it's shot. I, I can't believe that's a that's a performance that he's giving. It he doesn't feel like that, because he? he feels like she's actually a hypnotherapist doing this thing. But um, I just love it, like a command is given, and, and she says... "What did she? What is the translation? I can't remember in Russian. I Russia, think it's, it's I, I, can, I
0: speak. can speak. I can speak. I, yeah, yeah.
1: She says to him, say, I can speak, and he says, I can speak, and he speaks. Yeah, just amazing.
0: Right, then. We've got one final thing to play, William, uh, before we get to the movie you've picked for us, and that is what you consider the best use of music in a movie.
1: Well, I think it's got to be Taxi Driver. I mean, I think that uh, that score is just the best, really incredible. A little bit necessarily the best use of music, like, I'm sure there are examples of where music has had a bigger impact, but for me, um, it's sort of, it's impossible to think of that film without that score. And it's such a, it's such an integral part of that whole film, you know. He um, and 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 I think it was his. I think it was his final score. In fact, because obviously he had he had um he'd he'd scored so many movies for Hitchcock, so many of the classics, and then actually to bring all of that to then his final score and this for, the one of Scorsese's early movies was uh, incredible.
0: Yeah, I've heard it talked about and. I won't. I won't profess that this is this is my understanding. But having read around it, it's all about how they. uh, He basically uses the score to show the deteriorating mental state of Travis, and you're kind of it's it's inside his head, and the score reflects what how he's feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's yes. Hearing you say that makes total sense. That's probably why I was so um, drawn to it because when we were when Richard. Uh, Reed Parry was was writing the score for Eileen. It was exactly that that we were looking for a theme, but the theme has to reflect the inner life of the character. You know, so it was totally, and so, you know, and so so um, it's interesting we, when we when we started looking at this together. So many movies use like temp score in the edit, borrowed from other movies, and so then what happens is the person writing the score then ends up writing a score which is similar to the temp which has already been borrowed from another movie and so you end up in this sort of like this loop of all the scores sounding the same because they've all been borrowed from each other so and I think um that happens quite a lot in the Marvel films which is that um the, they borrow the score from another Marvel film for another Marvel film and then they end up writing the score for that Marvel film which is and it's the same score <laughs> uh, and and yet you know you think about the movies, that we were talking about before Like 85 I mean Back to the future What a score But what a theme Yeah And so this was something We were talking about Like and you know And Taxi Driver Has the same thing It has this sort of Very very strong Theme to it And so Richard And I were saying Let's give I a the theme uh, Rather than the Rather than The score Just simply being there To sort of Accentuate emotion It's actually is it, uh is characterful,
0: and as I said again at the start, from um, from that opening, uh, Richard Reed perrys score, your direction, looking through the uh, the windshield of a car—that's not a spoiler because it's the first scene—and <laughs> and that that title coming up, it all comes together, and you're hooked. You're hooked from from the opening. It's great. Hey, William, we've arrived. It is now time for you to announce to this packed auditorium of your friends and family, to your wife on your honeymoon, the movie you have picked to celebrate your marriage out of all others. William, what film are we watching?
1: We're watching Happiness by Todd Sollins, which I think would be a great honeymoon movie. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is wh- wh- why have you why have you, why have you picked happiness?
1: I find it so funny. I find it so. I, fi- I find it really, really a funny movie. Um, I think also it would be great to watch this movie and realize in 2023 that you would never be able to make this movie today. Mm. It's like it's absolute. Like it's worth just re- remembering how much freedom filmmakers had in the past to make these independent mid-level movies that are dark, really I mean it's really really dark, it's called Happiness and it's like the, <laughs> that in itself is a is a great joke and provocation, I mean the main character is called Joy uh, <laughs> and she's the least joyful person she's like constantly put upon this tragedy of her life um, I find it very funny, I find it very dark uh great performances. Philip Seymour Hoffman is really astonishing in this movie. Um but 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 uh it's a movie I come back to a lot. I mean I I, I was thinking this because I was thinking, oh which movie do we watch? What could be good like because you know we played this, this game when we when we all met for Eileen we all went for dinner, the cast and um and the producers and the writers and um and actually we went round you know with Thomasin, Mackenzie, Anne Hathaway, Shea Wiggum, uh, or Tessa, and, and producing our our, our movies, like our, our our two favorite movies. And I ended up saying um, The Piano Teacher, Hanukkah, and uh, Dumb and Dumber, the Family Brothers, and I was just like, I wonder whether actually Eileen, on some levels, it's like a combination of Dumb and Dumber and The Piano Teacher. <laughs> And I sort of feel like happiness does that for me too, which is I find it really disturbing and dark uh, and upsetting. And at the same time, very, very funny. You know, I just, but I think that's, that's, that, that, it would, it, it would be, it would be, um, it would be a night out for all my friends and family on our honeymoon. It would be a movie that we would all definitely talk about as well. afterwards. So that's also something else. I think if we can make movie uh, cinema that also creates debate, yeah you know, we would definitely go into the bar afterwards and have a few drinks and talk about it
0: it will certainly it's certainly an unforgettable choice for those who uh, go oh i've not heard of happiness yeah i there was an interesting piece it's just turned 25 there was an interesting piece in variety last month talking about what you what you just said the fact that uh, todd solan's um hasn't made a movie since 2016 and um and how that's because of his sort of embracing of risk sits completely at odds with a very risk averse cinema culture mm. right now.
1: I saw I Wiener Dog. I mean that was another I saw it's it oh, very, God. very, very funny. Um yeah. but yeah, yeah, he's yes. I hope he has another movie coming soon because I do think he what do you do then? Do you have to change the way you make movies in order to then go out and get the finance? Is that what he's having to face now or or, or will you end up finding finances who will still make a Todd Solondz movie? Um There there are other I think there are other younger filmmakers who sort of in um, who are inspired by his filmmaking who are making movies now there's some there's some uh, I saw Dream Scenario recently did you see that film it's very funny the
0: new Nick Cage (laughs) one yeah I haven't seen it I've I've heard it's great
1: yeah but I mean it's probably more it's more like a Kaufman movie than a Solomon's movie but but it's like it's got some some good dark dark moments in there um I just hope he, i hope I hope that he can make it I hope that there's we find somewhere being able to continue to make movies that uh, are in that budget space and um uh, have uh, can, can can actually not be afraid to to embrace that dark humor i think that's the thing that um that's what I hope when we watch happiness all together in the cinema on on my honeymoon <laughs> But I love it. Could, maybe only, maybe I go back. Maybe it, but the food question you asked me. Maybe actually what we need is some. We need some uh, drinks in in the cinema. Yeah. And we watch Happiness.
0: I'll say for those who might not get on board with how funny it is in the same way you do, uh, they may need a stiff drink halfway through. Uh, yes, okay. <laughs> so yeah. They realise what Dylan Baker's character is up to. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I have to be honest with. you I never found that element funny. I just find the this the situation funny of the um, yes and the, like, it's not so much I mean I have to just be really totally like it's not so much the sort of the subject which I find funny it's, oh it's yes the, it's the behaviour yeah and, and I, actually I think probably for people like, if they want to see the perfect perfect um, date scene there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where uh, there's a couple on a date Joy is on a date and um uh, is dumping somebody and it i mean really it's just i mean and actually it's almost shot in one you know and and the and it's just really perfect i think i think it concludes with you are shit and i am champagne <laughs> i think isn't that the final <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah. I've wanted that as to, uh, to, i wanted to you that whenever someone's trying to break up with me you are shit <laughs> i am champagne
0: Oh, uh, What a wonderful movie to end on. Um, the curtains are closing, William. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out of the movies. Uh, but before you go, it's our final question. It is the big one where I ask you to tell us an exclusive but never before heard piece of information about your filmmaking career, past, present, or future.
1: I'm remaking Day of the Dolphin. <laughs> and um, that's why it's, this has been a plug. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, really gorilla Gorilla Marketing.
1: Um, yeah, guerrilla marketing. Um that would be that would be really amazing. <laughs> oh, there's there's one thing I tell you there's one thing I haven't said, which is um I think it was so basic. In in New Jersey we had a we had a um there was a, an art space which we took over a floor for, which was our production offices. And in there they had... I don't know whether what's sort of had been like an ad agency or a dance space or something, but there's a big, big space where Olga had the costume department or whatever. And there were little offices everywhere and so on. And on the walls, white walls everywhere, and on the wall in red it said, uh, astonish me, exclamation mark. And we laughed about it a lot. We had a lot of photos under there being like every time we would meet for a meeting about the film we would be like are you going to astonish me or all of this constantly like what have you got today astonish me this sort of but and I found out that I think it is a translation from uh, an instruction that Diaghilev used to give to Russe. like when he set it up like it was the sort of the brief for everyone coming and making work with him was he would say astonish me or whatever whatever that is in French basically he would and um and I just thought what a great what what great permission you know to give to a group of people to like when you're making something which is like let's do something that's going to astonish everybody and I think everything I've, the movies I've spoken about today like on some level all um have astonished people i mean happiness certainly gets <laughs> your yeah, eyebrows raised you know uh, yeah. but back to the future of course even even dear old Dr Moreau yeah. and I think...
0: and I'm, I'm preparing yeah. to be astonished by Day of the Dolphin uh, when I get round to watching it. Uh... <laughs> Uh, William, this has been a fantastic journey. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But just before you leave us, let me recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with your wife at 10 or 11 a.m. in the morning. It's not a silver screen screening, though. It is your honeymoon. You are sitting in the middle of the back row You weren't going to have anything to drink, but we're serving some stiff drinks to your friends when it comes about exactly what movie you have picked to watch. You are having (laughs) popcorn, which is at the top of a popcorn box, disguising the pick and mix below. We're putting up posters that depict your movie memories. Your fondest movie memory is a poster for Back to the Future, which you saw in 1985 at the Guildford Odeon. Your worst movie memory, the poster, is for the Island of Dr. Moreau at the Guildford Odeon again in 1996. The third poster depicts the last performance that brought you to tears. The performance by Milo Machado-Grana, who plays the kid in Anatomy of the Fall, with a special mention going to the palm dog winner, Messi, who plays his guide dog, Snoop. You are putting up a poster for your unpopular movie opinion... The Day of the Dolphin, the Mike Nichols movie that I cannot wait to watch. We are playing a trailer in the auditorium for Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer's new movie. The movie moment that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air is Willie, the killer whale of free Willie fame, jumping over the wall at the end. The most shocking moment in cinema for you is when Anwar Congo suddenly realises exactly the magnitude of the murders he committed. What line or piece of dialogue most affected you? I can speak in the introduction to Tarkovsky's 1975 film, The Mirror. The best piece of music in a movie is Bernard Herrmann's score from Taxi Driver. And finally, you, your friends, your family and your wife are celebrating your special honeymoon trip by watching Todd Solondz's 1998 movie, Happiness. It's been a joy chatting with you, William. Have you had a good time?
1: loved it thank you so much
0: um, congratulations again on Eileen as I said at the start it's out in cinemas on
1: December the 1st and
0: it's absolutely blooming brilliant so well done on that and I look forward to speaking to you again at some point Alex thank you so much it really has been a pleasure thank you And as William's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance we must all leave his movie paradise and return to reality. But to soften the blow, how would you like a pair of tickets for a night out as a very real Odeon cinema? each week we give away a pair to someone who leaves us a review of the show on apple podcasts it really is that simple so jump on there leave us a review and if i read it out we will send you some tickets the competition is only open to uk residents and the tickets exclude Odeon leicester square and Odeon luxe and just before i say my final farewell for this episode don't forget you can find the full video for today's william aldroyd interview and indeed for every guest on our trip the movies youtube channel so please head over there and as i said at the start help us grow the podcast by hitting that subscribe button and that really is it i'll be back next week when another guest fills our cinema with their celluloid dreams as they take us on a trip to the movies Bye bye